Today is the last day of 2019 and what a year it has been. Um, lots of positives, uh, a fair few negatives too. Um, but, you know, just like every year, complete roller coaster. You never know where you're going to be at the end of one when you begin it. And um, I'm sure 2020 has a lot in store for all of us. I um, hope you have all had a great holiday season, um, whatever you're celebrating, wherever you are in the world. Um, I really, really hope you had a good time. And um, I thought I would team up these next two episodes uh, to wrap up season one of my podcast, um, which is going to evolve in 2020. It's not going to change that much. It's still just going to be me uh, nattering. Um, but I'm going to focus on things that I can research and uh, educate myself on and therefore hopefully educate you guys. Um, maybe talk about things you already know about and uh, possibly share some insight that you didn't know about. Um, I know that's rather vague. I am preparing uh, season two as we speak. But today I thought it would be really interesting to um, take you back to 2017, back to literally a landmark in my uh, YouTube content creator career um, and as a musician because uh, I most recently was uh, at Anderton's. And uh, it was over two years later um, from when I was last there and... It was just incredible to share the journey that they helped uh, launch. And I, I like to think I credit them a lot in terms of Lee Anderton email, emailing me one fateful day um, when I was in my uh, last temp job as a finance assistant. Um, and he emailed me asking me to come on the channel because I'd been making YouTube videos in my evening. And I just thought this 2017 interview a lot has changed since then. It might uh, share a bit of my story with you that you might not know about. And yeah, it's just interesting for me to look back on, see how far I've come uh, just to re-motivate myself for the new year because the end of this year has been riddled with sicknesses. Um, so I am a little bit behind with work. Anyway, excuses, excuses. Um, I wanna thank this week's sponsor, uh, the penultimate episode um, DistroKid are sponsoring. They have been incredible to me this year. I have raved about them a lot uh, on this podcast and on my YouTube channel. If you want to get your music on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, Pandora, Amazon, Google Play, Tidal, um, YouTube, and now TikTok, then uh, you need a service like DistroKid. I use DistroKid personally. I have, um, well, almost released all my songs, uh, all nine songs this year through DistroKid. One is yet to be released. Uh, I Am Not Yours will come out on the 10th of January. What I've done is uh, distributed my songs individually on streaming platforms through DistroKid. And I've done it with different artwork. Um, so it sort of all unites. But basically, DistroKid costs $19.99. That's dollars. So uh, even less in sterling um, or euros, wherever you are. Uh, you, it costs $19.99 a year. And you can upload unlimited albums and songs for that year. Um, other people charge at least two times more than that. Or some people charge individually per song, which can get 
very expensive and therefore just limit your creativity. So I'm thinking up ways to really utilize DistroKid and that's through releasing covers. I'm thinking about it. I'm not sure I'm there yet, but basically DistroKid help you um, with all the licensing and um, it does cost a little bit more uh, per track to release other people's music, but they help you do that. So if you are looking at releasing covers or you're just looking at releasing your own um, original material, then you get to keep 100% of your royalties and get paid monthly through DistroKid. So what else has been happening? I have been working on something else and um, it's sort of stemmed from taking my own uh, music education a little bit more seriously, like self-educating myself, re-educating myself. And um, I'm excited about that happening in 2022. So just uh, sign up to my mailing list uh, on maryspender.com if you want to know more or sign up to my Patreon site. Um, Obviously follow me on YouTube, Instagram, all that stuff. And yeah, let's get into my first interview and my Captain Meets episode with Lee Anderton. Yeah, I really, really hope you enjoy it. And obviously thank you to Andertons for having me on. Here we go. Hi, my name is Mary Spender and you are listening to Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Tuesday Talks. Die. 
Thanks for watching Anderton's TV. And I'm really, really happy to say that today, uh, Mary Spender's come to, to spend the day with us. Um, no pun intended. Uh, well, very true. Yes, <laughs> I, I'm sorry about that. Uh, um, and uh, Mary came up on my uh, YouTube feed earlier this year, uh, watched a couple of gear demos that you'd done and listened to a couple of tunes, saw your infamous John Mayer question at the NAM show. I know. And, uh, I just enjoy it, you know, I found it really, really easy to watch your stuff. So I thought we should invite you up and see what happens. And this is what's <laughs> happening. So tell us a bit about yourself. Where did, when did you get into, you know, guitar and songwriting and where are you from and everything? Mm -hmm. um, grew up in Salisbury, uh, started playing electric guitar first at 11. Um, I was studying classical music quite a lot, so I was learning violin, piano, and classical singing and I was bored out of my mind <laughs> and uh, I saw some boys playing an electric guitar at the time I thought it was a Fender but it was actually probably just a Squire yeah and I was like what is that I need I need to play and I was listening to like quite heavy rock bands so I was like I have to play guitar and I didn't start singing songwriting till I was about 15. What were the what were the kind of heavy rock bands then you know what was your <laughs> I think everybody really has that <laughs> no I don't think everybody has that moment where it's just like oh man I got a pair, you know, I need to learn how to play the electric guitar. So what, what was your sort of... The first band that comes to mind is The Offspring. Oh, really? Do you remember them? Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, I just absolutely loved their music. What was the, what was the, the, the singer had a, like an Ibanez, he had a, a like a, a nickname, like a single, or oh, whatever, like everyone on I, I literally can't remember, I can't, I just that remember was real that artwork, kind Conspiracy of, you know, of One. I think that came out, bought the CD of that. Blink-182. Of course. Oh my God. Everybody loves Blink-182. I got so, I got so told off, I bought, um, of the state right I bought it with some money that my grandmother had given me and I took it home my parents were like what have you bought and then I showed them that album and they were like you're taking that back because I was, oh, really? I was 11 or 12 and it's got like filthy language in it <laughs> but I loved it and then yeah my brother was listening to uh, Linkin Park yeah so again this is all coming back I haven't thought Limp about Biscuit, this in years Linkin Park oh Limp Biscuit. all the good <laughs> yeah. stuff I know but it was it was all those bands that um kind of inspired me, but I realized I wasn't playing guitar like any of them. Yeah. Um, so how did that, was it like, went to your mum and dad said, please, can I have, you know, birthday money, Christmas money, whatever, I want an electric guitar, or were I, they a bit more I supportive said, than that? I said that, and then they were like, well, you have to buy it yourself. Really? Yeah, so Harsh. I saved up pocket money. I think I had a cleaning job, um, just a and b over the road. They were like, we'll pay you four pounds an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Slave labor. Yeah. Um, how much do you think that is, I mean, I know when I was a kid and obviously having a dad that owned a music shop meant that there was a sort of a yeah. never-ending supply of, you know, what do you like, learn to play the clarinet or learn to play the piano or, mm -hmm. you know. 
Um, and I gave them all up until I eventually said, I'd like to guitar dad. And I think by this time my dad was so sick of me just borrowing, you know, taking stuff from the store and never learning to play it properly, that he said, well, let's, you, you, can, you have to buy it then. And I don't know if that's a sort of a, like an important, you, you appreciate it more. Oh, absolutely. My dad was like, oh, well, I'll never buy you a car either. Obviously I was a bit young for a car, but <laughs> he just said, violin was a little bit pricey for me yeah. to even try and save all my pocket money. So they did buy me a violin. Um, but those in violin, piano, I was, I was very good at practicing initially and then I lost interest pretty quickly. And they thought yeah. the same thing would happen with guitar but I was still having lessons with all the other instruments. And they were like, well, we can't afford your lessons either. So I am entirely self-taught. Yeah. Um, but I did classical music at university to sort of wrap up my what was, what was education. The, was that about studying um, the history of it and the composers, or was that very much about you know, <clears throat> composition and performance? or um, A mixture of all, really. Bristol University was very academic and probably the wrong course for me, now I was looking at sort of ACM and stuff. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, maybe I should have gone there. Um, but it was analysis, um, composition, history. Obviously, there's a huge amount yeah. of history. Essays. Yeah. I wrote a dissertation. You're a big classical music fan? Do you think there's anything that you're doing in any way inspired by? Mm, I think I'm, I'm not, I don't really listen to it as much as I should. Mm. And actually, I think maybe my songwriting now is the productivity of it is declining because I'm not rebelling against classical music anymore. I, right. I get to do the music that I want to. Um, so when I was at university, my songwriting, I was, I was just really prolific. They were all terrible songs, <laughs> um, but I was actually physically writing, which obviously yeah. you have to filter out the crap to get the, <laughs> the good stuff. Um, but I, th I think having that musical education definitely helped me to pick up the guitar and be able to know, um, you know, I already knew chords and, and uh, keys and I, I knew the technical side of it, but I don't really pay attention to that even now. I listen, I, I try and train my ear, mm. which I, I didn't have a very good ear from, even oh, really? from studying classical music, it was terrible. Everything, it was all math, so you just like play exactly what's on the page. Right. You don't have to improvise or anything. Um, but yeah, once I picked up the guitar, I knew that was it. And, and then, what was your, so, what was the guitar that you bought yourself first then? Pacifica 112. Still got it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know what? Found it the other day actually. I did a I, video I, on I'm it. A, uh, <laughs> I'm a massive advocate, and I suppose some would say I would be, you know, selling guitars for a living, in that, you know, getting young people and young, you know, children basically to want to play the electric guitar or the guitar full mm -hmm. stop isn't a problem. You know, there are a huge percentage of the population want to do it. Yeah. But a combination of crappy gear and crappy tuition, and I suppose an element of some kids just won't connect with it or whatever, but I think the crappy gear and the crappy tuition uh, plays a huge part in why so many people, by the time, you know, they do it for six months and then it's just like, mm -hmm. oh, it's not for me. And it's great that you've got brands like, you know, Yamaha with their Pacifica and other some such brands. Yeah. And great that you've got sort of modern educators out there that understand that, you know, getting a kid to do green sleeves over and over again, or, you know, London bridges falling down on a classical guitar or whatever, mm. over and, is, is not the way to engage, a, you know, they, what they really want to do is learn to play a Blink-182 track yeah. as fast as possible. You know, yeah. it's like with distortion on their amplifier. Yeah. 
Muse again. I was just trying to learn all the Muse riffs. Oh well, that, yeah. Maybe you wouldn't start with Muse. No, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to. Really? I, yeah, I literally. <laughs> I was. I was trying to learn Plug and Baby as soon as I picked up the guitar. After I'd learned, I think I mastered Teenage Dirtbag. Yes. You know, absolutely. So from Wheaters to Muse. Yeah. Um, I used to do Teenage Dirtbag. I'm going to try and remember it. Isn't that? That's it. I used to do this in a band. That's it. That's the one. Which is yeah. such a great tune and not I that know. difficult great to kind of play song. as well. So, so, so you've got this um, Pacifica guitar, yeah. and uh, you're now taking music quite seriously in your education. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the moment, the sort of light bulb moment, when you just think, "I think I want to do this more seriously now," and you know, maybe at the instead of a nine to five. I think I wanted to be a pop star since the age of six. <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't think of anything. I didn't. I didn't know how I was going to do it. But you know, pretending to be one of the Spice Girls on the playground, I was just like, yeah, I've, I've got to perform. Um, but I've got, with, uh, sorry, uh, which one? It's like, as Jerry, soon as you said Jerry. you wanted to be Jerry. Jerry. Fair yeah. enough. I had to I know. ask. I know. <laughs> still feel. I still stick by that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just. I, I think. I saw Avril Lavigne as well. I didn't see that many girls mm. playing guitar. Saw mm-hmm. Avril Lavigne. I was like, oh my god, I could play electric guitar properly. Like I could actually, although she wasn't actually really playing that properly. Was she not? Um, I she could play now I look. Now I look at the videos yeah. that I was there, being like, oh my god, she's a virtuoso player, and I yeah. look at them, and she's just playing simple chords. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. But you know, she's a good player, yeah. and I know that she's still playing. But um, it was nice having that sort of role model, Katie Tunstall. Yeah, huge role model for yeah. me. Um, that famous Jules Holland loop pedal performance. Yeah, that was a powerful performance, I think, yeah. wasn't it? Because she, I mean, I, I don't get the opportunity to, to interview uh, many uh, female guitar players. Mm. Um, and I'm always conscious of the fact that um, the, the fact of the matter is that if I have a hundred customers come into Anderton's to buy an electric guitar, 97 of them will be blokes. Mm-hmm. Some people are saying that a lot of women are buying, you know, actually the data that we don't get to see is that actually there's probably a lot more women buying online because they find the music stores an uncomfortable place to, to be rather than they're not out there at all. But I guess it stands to reason when you go, you know, boys have got so many role models uh, to, or you know, people to idolise and want mm-hmm. to be as electric guitar players, and, and undoubtedly women have less. But do you, you know, do you think even at that age, you're are you looking for female icons to look up to, or do you just do you just look up to anybody that plays the guitar and feel like I'd like to sort of emulate that? I think you want to see, um, you know, I think this applies for men as well. But you want to see a grown-up version of yourself. So women do want to see other mm. women. Um, and there is a lack of guitar players, but I, I know that you're aware that there are some really extraordinary mm. players out there. And you just have to go to Nam, and you just have to realise like that there are yeah. lots. Um, but it's it's just strange because I've had meetings with record labels, um, and I've been pursuing singing songwriting for ten years now, eleven years, and quite a lot of them have told me to put down the guitar. Right, just sing. And yeah, they were just like, just sing. Just sing. Mm. Just focus on songwriting, but but sing. And I was there being like, okay, well, I can do that, but then I'll just look like everybody else. Mm. And so 
and, and then they were like, oh, we need to get your image right as well, because my image supposedly wasn't right. But I was like, well, oh, I, need, I need the guitar for my image, mm. because I play the guitar, and I sing, and I write songs that way. And so ever since I focused down and just ignored that advice and just thought, okay, I'm just going to focus in on guitar, everything started working a bit better. Mm. Well, that's, I, 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 Everything's I, coming together a bit more. I'm I, still, you know, in a limbo, but... I wonder if that... I mean, that, doesn't, that, that sort of approach from managers and labels doesn't... It's not, it doesn't exclusively apply to girls, does it? I mean, I've seen, again, similar guys where the label yeah. just go, do you know what, the, your face fits for this type of artist and that yeah. type of artist doesn't play guitar, he dances. So, yeah, you know, and you just go, oh, okay. Yeah. <sighs> Tricky one that one is because I guess on the one hand, you, you know, that there is potentially this you know opportunity of a career doing music you know and you're sort of going well maybe I will put down the guitar and then on the other hand you've got your your own integrity haven't you and your own sort of feeling of I want to be me and not what you think I could be yeah um, but I, you have to come up with your own thing and you just have mm. to stick by it if it doesn't if it doesn't work in the market then you just have to deal with that so but, but pretending to be something else and being successful that way is mm. is not fulfilling to anyone. So who who would you have seen then? You know, beyond uh, Katie Tunstall, was there anyone else uh, that you you know that you really thought? Because I, I I do agree with you. You know, if there's there are uh, there are a ton of uh, very talented women playing guitar that you really only find if you go looking for them on mm-hmm. YouTube. If you sort of said, "What are, who, who am I likely to see? You know, who am I likely to hear on the radio or, or, or headlining a festival or whatever?" You know, the, mm-hmm. the list shrinks rapidly. Yeah. But so, who are you? You know, who do you? Who else do you think? Um, you know, gives you faith, or, or, or you know, that, that actually, you know, that there are role models coming through that more women will see and be inspired to play guitar, other than yourself, obviously. Um, Even one, if you see yourself as a role model, yeah. <laughs> um, not to myself. <laughs> um, Leanne Le Havas, have you ever seen I her? Don't play? No, I don't know her. Oh my god! Uh, I think she released her debut album in 2011, mm-hmm. and she was playing a James Trussard, um, one of you know, obviously his metal, but it was a Telecaster shape, mm-hmm. and it was sort of hollow. And I was like, oh my god, what is that? And then, and she and she played guitar for a whole set, and Just she did really well. No, no, singer-songwriting, well. yeah, mm-hmm. full band, but just she can she can really play, really, and and she just looks like a rock star as well. <laughs> but but sort of soulful, quite poppy music, um, but just again very clever. And 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 she, I think she played the Westholt stage at Glastonbury, and it was a bit of a obviously it's a huge stage anyway, so she was already doing pretty well to yeah. get that slot. But that was like a breakout moment for her. Oh, cool. I feel like she's played on Jules Holland and stuff, but. Yeah, she's so that's 2011. So that's still six years ago. Mm. Um, so she's had a bit big effect. Um, weirdly enough, Katy Perry, when she first came out, and she was playing acoustic guitar, yes, and she was doing she was playing interesting chords, and yeah. she was obviously songwriting. That was that was a, a weird one mm. for me. And I love pop music. I love cheesy pop music anyway. Um, but now she's sort of stepped away from the guitar, and she's obviously focusing on being. One of the I don't even biggest superstars in the yeah, world. Yeah, I mean, that's probably not, you know, that's not an entirely exclusive... I mean, I, again, that's not a female thing. I mean, I, I can think of four or five 
ridiculous guitar players. I'm going I'm to just mm. chuck one out there. George Benson. Mm-hmm. Off the charts jazz guitar player. Yeah. Who at some point in his career took the commercial decision that actually singing R&B love songs mm-hmm. with no guitar was going to appeal to a way wider audience yeah. than playing jazz guitar and, you know, and scatting over the top of it. But, mm. so I guess, you know, it, 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 Katy Perry has just presumably, uh, we, we're both massive John Mayer fans, aren't we? Yeah. You know, I yeah. think John Mayer is uh, from that kind of continuum mm-hmm. peak of just guitar insaneness. Mm-hmm. has stepped back a little bit and gone, you know what, I think maybe I'll just focus on yeah. songs and vocals and things because I think that will appeal to a wider audience. Yeah, I think also he's... But he's he's never really put down the guitar completely. No, um, But, you know, he's playing piano more and, and, and stuff like that. And you know, I think it's... And dancing in music videos now, so... <laughs> With pandas. Um, yeah. Awesome. I guess it's, it's what makes your heart sing. So you might get tired of playing guitar. Like, it might just be a personal thing. You might just be like, oh, I've done three albums, me just bluesing it up. I'm going to try something different and see if people still like mm. it and whether it is down to the songwriting or whether it's just the guitar playing that these people like me. And, you know, I think... Now that's fair enough. I was probably a bit unfair to say that John Mayer did it entirely for commercial reasons. You're probably right. Mm. Certainly in interviews I've seen with him, it's about just not doing the same thing over and yeah. over and over again. And switching genre enough. for him, I mm. think, was quite impressive and going a bit country and now mm. going a bit more, you know, he's always been um, pop mm. in a way. But yeah, I think, it, I think it's interesting. I'd love to know more about the mindsets of those sorts of artists. Mm. And I think... Um, they do sometimes shed light on interviews, but rarely. But there are more, more, more um, uh, songwriting sort of analysis YouTube channels where they really like go into those sorts of things and try and find the roots of the of that hit song. Or yeah, mm. look. So tell me about. I mean, are you a bit of a, a gear head? You know, do you do you have you are you bang into all the kind of what guitars are on the market and what pedals and amps and how can I get certain sounds or you know are you perhaps just beginning that journey or you know what's your I think I'm at the beginning I'm definitely like into my um, guitars and I wish I had unlimited money to be able to (laughs) have everything Um, but I I was quite stubborn for quite a long time I think I could have learned a lot more a lot quicker if I'd actually been paying attention to what was happening Um, but I was an I went I went acoustic Mm -hmm. I went the opposite to Bob Dylan Um, because when I was touring and when I was at university and sort of doing open mics and everything it was a lot easier to just plug in an acoustic guitar and then even I you know used a loop pedal for a a time Um, but it wasn't until I saw this guitar that I decided I was like, and now I've got to go back. I've got to go back to electric. So, are you exclusively electric now when you're sort of yeah, gigging? Yeah, in, in my in my um, headline sets, I'm exclusively electric. So, well, tell me about this guitar because I, you know, I am I am a, 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 a really not familiar with anything beyond I know Vigier are from France. And yeah, that's the that's the uh, limit of what I know. So, tell me about that. Um, so this is a Vigier GV Rock in Revolution Green, as um, 
they describe it, even though it's basically seafoam, isn't it? Um, and I saw this at NAM 2015. They came out with this um, model with the matte paint, this lovely binding. And I just saw it on the wall. And I was friends with them as a company. I'd, I'd met Patrice, I'd met Lena. Um, ben, the UK manager of Vigier, did sell me my first guitar in Percy Prize in Salisbury when I was 11. And he was for six, no, wait, it must have been 10, 12 years. He was just like, you should, you should, uh, you should try Vigier. <laughs> and I'd pick them up and I, I, I'd see them and I'd, I'd be like, well, they're not quite my aesthetic. And I wasn't quite, yeah, I didn't fall I'm, in I'm love with them. I'm thinking of like Bumblefoot and maybe Guthrie Govan and exactly. stuff like that have been associated with them, haven't they? So. Yes, and they are virtuoso players, yeah. which I'm not. So um, I, saw, I saw this one, I was like, oh my God, I have to have that. And I, I hadn't felt that way about a guitar since, I don't know, I had an Ibanez art core. I can't remember which model, but one of the big hollow, hollow yeah. bodies with the, not the rounded um, swell, but the, is yeah. it a Venetian swell when it's, when it's pointed? That's where my Flo- technique is. It, is it Florentine goes is the pointy one and Venetian is the curvy one? Oh, right. Or is it the okay. other way around? I feel like it, I don't know. Well, one we'll of find them out. Is, I know what you mean. The, point, <laughs> the pointy, the pointy, the pointy horn, not the, not the curvy horn. Yeah, yes. and I hadn't fallen in love with a guitar until that, and I bought that when I was 18, and I sold it to buy a mountain bike. But anyway, um, I, saw, I know. I saw this, and I played it, and the neck was just the right shape for me. Um, you know, I've got relatively small hands and all their other ones. I've actually got an Indus now by them and the neck's just like that much broader that I've, I, don't, I don't pick it up mm. as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, I just, I just fell in love and I also liked them as a company. They let me go to NAMM um, and they just gave me free reign and I just found their support to be quite kind and also it was something different for them yeah because they don't have that many singer-songwriter bluesy players playing yeah. Vigier so got this made got it in August 2015 and yeah you done any kind of modifications to it I notice you've got the little bit of foam behind the no that's that's, 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 that's there it's, anyway, it's all is it? as is it's just filthy because I play it a lot um it's a really yeah, it's, no it's, it's interesting because it, it's Pete and I were trying to decide whether, we, I know we could have just gone on the internet and it would have been massively easier to do this, but we were trying to decide if it was a shorter scale guitar, because if it's got 10 gauge strings on it, which you think it did, it's incredibly yeah. easy to bend and a light feel on it. So I wasn't sure if it was like a slightly shorter. I feel like they're just terribly old strings. Yeah, maybe, but it's, <laughs> it certainly had a, it had a really interesting lacquer on it. it was sort of, yeah. it, it's... Um, that sort of... It felt really smooth, mm-hmm. um, you know, in no way sort of sticky or anything like that. No. Um, but I thought, it was, you know, it is a nice, comfortable guitar. Be- yeah. The detail on the fret edging is really, really high. I know. Um, really high quality. Mm. Um, but, you know, it is, a, it is probably a marginally smaller and lighter looking guitar than, say, something like a Les Paul or whatever. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. I think, um, I can't remember exactly, I do know the specs, but... I just can't remember right now. Um, it just felt very comfortable for my frame yeah. as well. And I also just thought, you know, everyone's going to be like, what is that guitar? <laughs> They're not going to know. I, I, was, I, I had a Fender Strat uh, in Arctic White and I loved it. And, but, the, but the neck was actually too broad for me. Too and, broad. I, and when I bought yeah. it, I didn't actually realise that that's what I didn't like. Yeah. Um, 
I think so. I think you have to go on that journey of discovery because I, I've mm. I've sat and done so many video reviews where you you know the the specification, the nut width and the width of the twelfth fret and the depth of the neck, they're all written down, and you realise after a while that the difference between um, a guitar that you find unbelievably comfortable to play and then the next one where you felt quite awkward to play yeah. can literally just be a millimeter i know and it's almost like you you then start going well i don't know how useful the specs really are because you know if you're literally talking about maybe a millimeter this way and a millimeter this way makes it mm -hmm. uncomfortable the only real way to find that out is to just go and try it um, absolutely i think that's why shops you, you have to have them you have to have those guitars mm. on the wall you can't just buy you can't just look on the internet and just buy it. Yeah. Well, unless, well, unless you, you're going to return it. <laughs> yeah. Or you've had a friend that has yeah. got one, you know. But, I, I, but even I then, I feel agree. like some of the GV rocks I've played, they just felt a bit different to this oh, really? one. Really? Yeah. Actually, yeah. this one feels different to the first one that I picked up and I saw on the wall. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I wonder if I think on the more mass-produced a guitar is, particularly mm -hmm. if it's been made using sort of CNC machines, the, the more consistent they should all be. Yeah. But you're These right, are made I guess, to order, yeah. Yeah, if, they, if they're made on jigs or by hand mm. or anything like that, then I guess you could be forgiven for, you know, every one being minutely different mm. to, the, to the next. It might also just be how you're feeling that day. <laughs> million percent. <laughs> it, it can be. I mean, that's Whether my, your hands are warmed up or anything. That's my number one reason why people say, you know, if you get the desert island disc question, you know, so what one guitar would you be happy with for the rest of your life? And I'm like, N none of them, mm. because wouldn't be able to choose. No, because I just know if you said to me, this is the only guitar that you can ever, ever, ever play, mm -hmm. I'll get bored of it. Mm. At some point, you know, at yeah. some point I will get bored of it, and uh, and I'll, I will want to pick something else up just to, yeah, just to refresh. Well, I have another Vigier that does, it, you know, it's an Indus, so it's slightly, um, slightly wider neck. It's um, different body shape, you know, more mm -hmm. similar to a Strat, but different. Um, and it's got the Little Thunder pickup in it, and that was the reason. I actually bought this guitar to put a special pickup that turns your uh, electric guitar into a bass as well at the same time. Have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, that is the Little Thunder, isn't it? Yeah. Sorry, yeah, because I remember uh, seeing the Kickstarter campaign for that about two, three years ago, whatever, like that. Yeah, maybe, maybe 2014. Yeah, maybe. The... Yeah. yeah, so at the 2015 NAM, I went and met Andy, and the guys at Vigio were just like, oh, Mary, you're, for your style of playing, the way I play a bass line with my thumb, they were just like, you have to. That, for sure, is probably why yeah. the Indus... I mean, I... so where, where did that thumb around the side come from? Because that's still... I mean, I... I... You know, I love watching uh, lots of my favourite, you know, Hendrix, Eric Gales, even Pete, you know, will mm -hmm. will use the thumb wrapped around to, to, to add bass notes into chords that are, mm. you can't do unless you're going to bar them. But I, I find that quite uncomfortable to do, but it seems to come quite naturally to you. Is that, is that a style that you, you know, uh, developed early on? You know, were you, were you always playing kind of, you know, the root note of the chord with your thumb? Mm, or? No. Um, I saw Katie Dunsell do it and I was like, what is, what is she doing? And then it was John Mayer watching him play. Right. Um, He's got hands like spades. I know. Well, that's the other thing. I, I don't. I really think he has a big advantage. You know, maybe I'd play like John Mayer if I had bigger than <laughs> no, um, I broke my middle finger when I was 22 and right. I had a cycling accident and I still had gigs and I couldn't play the viola. I was, I was doing my finals at university where I was playing viola in orchestras. And because I'd broken the tip of it, 
um, I couldn't push down that way. Yeah. But I could still play guitar because it was that. So I had a little yeah. cast on it. And so I was doing that. And I was right. swearing at everyone when I was <laughs> playing. But I was like, oh, well, I can't, I can't do normal chords because if you take your thumb away, you can't do anything. But I could wrap my thumb around. And right. it was all from that little cycling accident. I was like, okay. Because it's you play Because I still had gigs. I wasn't going to turn yeah. them down. And it gives you, you know, I know when we jammed through that number you did at the beginning, you know, yeah. you, you are sort of playing like a, a rhythmically kind of thumping bass line, obviously, with, with yeah, the thumb. Yeah, which can be a bit of a bad habit sometimes. Oh, no, but... I like it. I mean, I, I think, it's, I think it, it does. It creates that extra layer of, you know, almost like a, a two, you know, two instruments accompanying yeah. them. I think um, also for songwriting and playing live, um, it was, there was a long time before I could afford having a band. Right. And so, and that's why I have my Indus as well for, for solo shows when it's just suitable that I play by myself. Um, I have this low end coming out of a bass amp that right. is a bass signal. Right. And it just adds that thing, but it's just me on stage. So, so everyone thinks everyone thinks it's a pedal, pickup, yeah. It? But mm. it's actually the pickup, and it only picks up the either the lowest two or the lowest three yeah. strings, and you can change between it. So with an octave pedal, obviously you'd pick up what you're doing on top. Yeah. But it just avoids that, and so it just adds this whole. And what about uh, sort thing. of amps and pedals then? So I mean, you're, you're, so your two Vigiers are your main. That's the two guitars that you'll predominantly play yeah. live, mm-hmm. so, and. Um, I know the first video I saw of yours was was the um, Turnip Greens Electroharmonics mm-hmm. yeah. uh, review, which I enjoyed very much. And but I don't recall. Did you go into what amp you were using in that video? But so, but what is you know what is your gigging amp and and pedal board? Uh, for the past few years, I've been using a Laney Lionheart. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the blue five, five is that the blue one? one? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Again, <laughs> thought it was pretty. <laughs> uh, I, I saw that at Nam twenty fifteen as yeah. well, and I. Yeah, just went to my local store and bought that. Um, but at the guitar show in February, um, I was playing a set and I was using orange amps. Yep. And yeah, I quite like that. You fancy going orange, yeah. do you? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Any any particular one that you liked? Um, I used uh, one of their custom heads recently. Oh, custom 50. <laughs> custom shot yeah, 50. Yes. I used that and I was like, oh, I wish I had well, the uh, money to... And a, and a roadie. <laughs> and a roadie. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I, I don't. I haven't actually chosen what I'll use. I, I need to play around. Some, some, I'm still freaked out by this. Um, you know, Pete. Pete and I had uh, dinner last night with um, uh, some Japanese guys. Very influential. Work for a big technology company. Uh, where's Pete? Why, why is they giggling? I'm not going anywhere with this, <laughs> other than to say that. You know, I think the, the 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 there's a huge sort of like juxtaposition in the guitar market in that you've got what manufacturers, particularly technology manufacturers, want to try and do is is work out how technology can make things better. Yeah. I don't even really know what better means, mm-hmm. but you know everything. And yet, Orange or whoever come out with the Custom Shop 50, which is about as rudimental and as you could possibly get, you know, just one gigantic big volume knob yeah. on like the oldest technology that there is. And you just go, dun dun, yeah, best guitar sound I know. ever. I know. And you do, you just feel like that's, we've done it. We've made a product that sounds amazing 60 years ago. So that's, can't we just have I know. <laughs> I the fact it's stupidly big and heavy. I know. And I expensive. Know. And expensive. Um, I was actually a little bit naive with amps for a long time as well, 
and I would when I was maybe when I first got this I, I I did have my turnip greens actually no I only got that two years ago so what am I talking about but I would I would um, put it straight through a PA I know I was really naive no speaker actually, emulation no nothing no nothing and this sounded great but with no distortion it with, should sound okay but with a oh yeah, put distortion I, on, yeah I wasn't I wasn't okay fine I was playing clean oh that's um, that's all right yeah, but uh, and it wasn't until I saw that Lionheart, and then now I just I don't record anything straight into my laptop anymore like I used to. But I think everyone goes through those um, I don't stages of development. Yeah, I mean, if if it what was I'm pretty sure, um, I'm, and I'm sure people will be commenting loads, but I'm sure there's loads of that kind of uh, Dark Side of the Moon kind of Pink Floydy stuff that was you know lots of the clean sounds are literally electric guitar straight into the desk. Yeah, you know, and it's it, it can be a sound. All the Nile Rogers stuff is just straight into the desk, is it as well? Oh, there you go. Yeah, you I've got my human Wikipedia behind the camera. Um, <laughs> so, and then, so I mean, yeah, be fun to see which orange amp you end up with. Um, I you know. know. I mean, they, they, the, the, the new uh, rockers are cool. They are cool. Um, but yeah, so, and then, so pedal, when I say, tell us about your pedal board, <laughs> is it a board or is it just tell us about your pedal singular? My pedal. Um, it's a very, very diminutive board, yes. <laughs> um, I actually really want to, again, like all these things that I keep finding out about and, uh, you know, just researching and then getting the funds to actually go into a shop and purchase these things. Um, it's, it's a nice journey to almost be just at the beginning of. Like I've, I've done the songwriting, I've done that and I've performed and I've got, I've got all those bits down and now it's like the tech side of guitar. How yeah. do I actually want to sound? Yeah. And I think it's a really fun journey. And it's really important to um, figure it out yourself at your own mm. pace. But my pedal board consists of a tuner, a boost, my turnip greens, and then I've got um, a custom compression by MXR. Mm -hmm. um, what else do I have? I oh, a little mower, um, the analog tape yep. play. Thing. I'm guessing the compressor really helps with your, you know, particularly as a singer at the same time if you're playing that kind of bass. And, yeah, you... it helped initially, and actually with the turnip greens, I don't, I don't use it on that. Oh really? It, it, it's it's nicely compressed anyway, and actually right. the MXR mixed with that feels a bit weird, but that's just personal taste. Um, so I sort of swap in, swap out, but I really only have mm. maximum three pedals. But it's, I think that's the for me. That's one of the appeals. Why I think the electric guitar is so enduring in its appeal, mm. in that. You know, you've got everybody from Buddy Holly mm -hmm. through to, you know, Metallica or Radiohead or U2, you know, mm. all fundamentally using the same thing. Yeah. But just getting the most diverse It's tones. the most versatile instrument in the world. You can make yeah. it sound like any other instrument. Yeah. And, I, and yeah. I think, again, you know, when you, when you see particularly, you know, bands like... Uh, Radiohead and and uh, and you two have have embraced the pedal or the effect side of what mm -hmm. um, the electric guitar can do to create you know genre defining sounds that yeah. you know that, that so I think it's I think it's it is I wouldn't say it's essential as a guitar player to know what the technology does but I, but I think it's it's um, What's the word for when, you know, it, it becomes, it opens your minds to all the possibilities yeah. um, of what you can do. So I think it'll be fun 
you know, it'll be fun to get on that journey and just mm -hmm. go, you know, what happens if I buy an electro harmonics POG and I set, you know, I got my basic sound plus a fifth above and a third below and, you know, and I turn it on and off yeah. and then, you know, can I make a, can I, can I write a song? You know, does it, what, what happens? Um, yeah, and, and buying these pedals and just actually sitting with them. I've had a go on quite a lot of the electro harmonics range and like the Mel 9, the B9 is yeah, so Yeah, all the organ weird. things, yeah. But again and you have to you have to figure out what did i buy recently um is there a phaser one of the um electroharmonics phaser is that the, even yeah thing? well they do the uh, small stone uh and the small well actually, which is the phaser whatever they, it won't be called a phaser it'll have a it'll have a, a name small stone small clone mm. or is it just is it just the fake do they do a phase I, can't, I, I bought it secondhand and Whatever. I just wanted to have, I just, I just, I like electroharmonics anyway. So yeah. every time I see something up secondhand, I'm, I usually buy it. Um, and I was trying to write with it and I was like, this is the most pointless pedal in the world. I can't make them sound good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's fun, but actually for what I'm doing, it's not suitable. But for a guitar video yeah. showing it, it's, it's, it's all thing. It's, so it's finding where those things are necessary and where it's just not. Yeah. So like you see so many guitarists with these huge pedal boards and I actually just wonder how many they actually play through. Did you see the, the Twitter post from John Mayer of his pedal board? Uh, not a recent one. So his pedal board was, he has, uh, he basically has two pedal boards because there are that many pedals on yeah. there. So there must be. Have you seen his rig run down by his tech on YouTube? Oh, maybe this is a Where clip he has a that. whole. Oh, and drawers of them and all oh, this. My, and they're yeah. all wired in yeah. and like he literally uses so, every single one of them. Yeah. yeah, so his, the, the, the actual thing that he stomps on is just purely a control board that yeah. obviously triggers all the different loops. And that must have had 40 or 50 buttons on it. It's yeah. like it was a great big thing about this big, just and then tons of pedals. But, yeah. but that's, know, his, that's his, that's his um, thing, isn't it? That's his zone. And I, and, yeah. I, and I kind of think to myself, you know, if you're, you know, even if 50% of those pedals or 70% of those pedals are just adding just that little Extra. bit of something mm. that, you know, maybe only John can hear, then yeah. he should have those, you know, because if it's going to inspire him to play to a level that he plays at that's better than when he doesn't have that. Yeah, I, I know that he's written songs just from, and just mm. search for that sound, and then he's written songs in the studio just using a certain pedal that well, you don't even realise is an actual guitar on the record. You're like, that must be something else, and then it's just him playing through a... So, so... You guys out there may well be pleased to know that what I'm very much hoping happens is that Mary starts uh, appearing on Anderton's TV a bit more regularly. Um, and we may talk about gear or songwriting or Mary may go and do some interviews with people or whatever. But I'm throwing it out there to you. What would you like to see Mary doing more of on Anderton's TV? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, just comment below. What is it that you think Anderson's TV kind of doesn't cover already that, you know, Mary can add? That's my kind of, that's my kind of vibe. And that's really the sort of, you know, the, the, Mary and I literally have met each other properly today for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of this interview is getting to, getting know, to know each other, mm -hmm. just in front of you all. It's <laughs> yeah. very nice. So look, um, Let's jam out. Let's jam out with something.
hope you've enjoyed, uh, you know, Mary and I rambling on for hours about yeah. a whole Getting mix deep. of, yeah, just <laughs> stuff uh, with no real structure to this interview whatsoever and a bit of noodling and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so please comment away in the section, you know, comment in the comment section below. We're, we're really looking forward to having you on board uh, in whatever capacity it turns mm -hmm. out to be. Um, and thank you very much for, for coming up today and as no I said, look forward Thanks to for working me. with you more in the future. Absolutely. Thank you guys for watching. And yes, we shall see you next time on Anderton's TV. <laughs> <laughs>